G'day listeners, welcome to Bar Karate, the sailing podcast. My name's Jordan Spencer and it's that time of the week where we get to hang out with some really cool sailors. Unfortunately, I have to share the time with my two idiot mates. So first off, let's welcome Mr. Brett Perry. Greetings, exalted one. Hey, Pete. Good evening, how are you? All right, mate, how are you? Oh, well, I'm pretty stoked other than the fact we've just been smashed back down into lockdown here in Sydney. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. as of yesterday, four o'clock, um, we were trying, we've, we'd, we'd gone so long without any any cases and then uh, bang whammo, here we are. Mm. So two weeks of uh, fun with my wife and two kids. And and, you, and some of your mongrel state members have popped across the border and uh, shared it around up here, so I think we're yeah, about well. to get a bit nervous. But mm. you guys are looking, it's pretty scary. Well, for, relative what it is. speaking for Australia compared to the rest of the world, but thirty cases, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's uh, it's at, I think it's at about a hundred at the moment. But uh, wow. anyway, is what it is. Mm. All right. Well, let's bring in the other bloke, um, where they're untouched by this little trauma. He had a voice that could make a Wolverine purr. Mr. Nick <laughs> Boss. Yeah, untouched in SA, but I've got something for both of you, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. First one for you, BP. Yes, mate. I'm uh, joining the board of management for one of the local yacht clubs here. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, the AGM's not until tomorrow night, so when people probably listen to this, it's kind of around about the same time. And I go in unopposed, so I've got the got the position. Um, but first meeting. First order of business, Beer. remove all photos of Jordan Spencer in Yacht Club. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Right. Okay, no worries. First yeah. order of business. Okay. Which, and then for oh, you, Jay. Which club's that? I've got my photo up in so many clubs. Yeah, no, Adelaide Sailing Club. Adelaide Sailing Club. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what role are you going for, mate? Bar manager? Oh, no, 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 just board member. Board, board management. Member. Nice, yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. yeah good. So. Just, just be warned, boss, I'm a bit like Russ. You can never quite get rid of me. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm afraid of. Everywhere I look, there's another bloody photo of you somewhere. <laughs> Don't let this man in. All right, Jordan, this yes. one for you. Do you have any Chinese ancestry by any chance? Oh, not that I could say. Because got... I've come across or well, I've been sent an article mm-hmm. um, and just, uh, just whilst uh, just – Listen to this for a sec. Uh-oh. The discovery of a huge fossilised skull <laughs> that was wrapped up and hidden in a Chinese well nearly 90 years ago has forced scientists to rewrite the story of human evolution. <laughs> I have Analysis of the remains has revealed a new branch of the family family tree that points to a previously unknown sister group more closely related to modern humans than the Neanderthals. The extraordinary fossil has been named a new human species, the Jordus Spencius. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. You make uh, that whole thing up? Uh, no, no. Um, that was sent in by one of our avid listeners oh. and um, 100% true, 23% of the time. <laughs> a, um, so a new species with a big head is what I'm taking from that conversation. Yeah, you're leading the way. You're leading the way. <laughs> Hey, is he from Nairobi and he, does he have $400 billion that he's got to give you? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah. He's a prince and he, yeah, you're a cousin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah all right, well, should we kick this off? We've got a yeah, great guest go. this week. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so this week, as you know, we, we keep hitting it out of the, the park with our guests and this week is absolutely no different. Um, very excited, actually. Uh, world champion in the Imoka, a world champion in the FICO class, um, an OBE the most excellent order of the British Empire, which I think is the greatest 
title, the most excellent, yeah, the uh, most excellent yeah. is a British order of chivalry. So uh, this man will be a gentleman and a, a class act and is a bit of a legend in the world of sailing. And uh, we are very excited to chat to Mr. Mike Golding. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, everyone. Hello. Nice to join you. <laughs> it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Um, no I, I pressure. No I pressure to... at all, I mean, that's quite a lot to live up to. I'm not sure it's most did, excellent. Did it put I, much sure pressure? Most excellent. <laughs> did it put much pressure on Mike when you got it, and you're like, "Oh shit, I really got to step up my game." <laughs> you got to stay squeaky clean. <laughs> yeah. I reckon you do a little bit. You'd have to surely. But the the most excellent order of the British Empire. I just love that. That's my favourite thing I've ever seen. I'm going to have to become a pom and try and get that order. Oh. Shouldn't have said that. Go. The phone's going to ring now. All these idiot pom mates are just going to ring. No, you're not coming in. Um, all right. Okay, Mike, you're a bit of a legend in the offshore world. Uh, a major uh, achievements, lots of world records, uh, lots of uh, Amoka races. Um, you've done the, um, the British Challenge. Uh, your challenge, yeah. The BT Global Challenge. So... Yep. Have you always wanted to be an offshore sailor or was it? I guess um, I've always enjoyed offshore. I mean, even my very early sailing, I mean, obviously, like most people, I sailed in dinghies but, uh, uh, and windsurfers. I was a very early windsurfer. Um, but pretty much as soon as I discovered offshore and travelling between one invisible place and another, um, I realised that, that I was, you know, I absolutely loved it, and from there just took it forward. But I was a pro, I was a professional fireman for eleven years, first eleven years of my career, um, and it took me a while to to start being a, a sailor, and I didn't really start till I was thirty one. So, wow. um, but I was sailing since nine. Mm. I sailed most of the way around the world when I was eighteen uh, on a little tiny catamaran. What was that with? What was that? What was that on? And who was it with? Uh, a chap, a, de, a yacht designer called Pat Patterson, and the boat was a 33-foot ocean winds. Um, and uh, he was a, mass, a retired maths teacher turned yacht designer, which was perfect because I'd completely bombed out of maths. And <laughs> he taught me to navigate and uh, use with sextant and traditional methods and uh, taught me a lot about sailing and... Uh, um, yeah, it was a fabulous experience, but, you know, I I did a, a very long sail with Pat and a couple of other people. I went down through Magellan Straits, went the wrong way through Magellan Straits. I seem to have spent my life going the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's quite a few. It's quite a few as to do that. <laughs> yeah, so, but, I mean, extraordinary experience. If you ever get a chance to go to um, the tip of South America, I mean, everyone obviously always knows Cape Horn, but... The straits just inside Cape Horn are absolutely mm. extraordinary, a really mm. untouched part of the world, still untouched, I, I imagine, even today. And uh, there's some fabulous sailing to be had in there. So, well, that's, uh, that yeah. sounds like a, a story un, unto itself, really. I mean, uh, to go around the world on a 30-foot catamaran. catamaran. Was, was that sort of... Uh, that was big back then. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but uh, was that sort of, uh, I, guess, I guess, in cruise mode, how long did that take you? Oh, it, it took forever because we stopped every five minutes. It d- drove me absolutely crazy, which is why in the end I got off. And 
Um, I, I always like big adventures. I like setting the goal post a long way ahead. Uh, so, for instance, I got off the boat. We went out to Juan Fernandez, Robinson Crusoe Island, came back in, and we were in the marina at, uh, <clears throat> not a marina, we were anchored at um, uh, in uh, Valparaiso. And uh, it was only two of us on the boat at that time. The, the other two had skipped off and gone ashore and decided they'd had enough of it. Uh, and I had the first argument with the skipper, first and last, because the <laughs> next day I got off the boat wow. and I hitchhiked, I, I hitchhiked to, um, uh, to to Montreal. Jeez. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah. Well, so I kind of like setting those impossible boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, well. Did the guy just not stop and you couldn't get out? or <laughs> That hitchhiking no, that long? The truth is it, was, it reached, I mean, I was a, I was an, as a teenager and it, you know, um, and the truth is, it just reached its natural conclusion. We'd mm. never argued, and we kind of got to a point where it reached the natural conclusion. But the whole thing came to a head because um, I tied the dinghy on his side, and it was bumping against the boat. And he woke up <laughs> and he moved it around to my side, and, and I moved it back again. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was. So there you go. There's a little lesson for you cruising sailors. Don't move the dinghy around. <laughs> and was this Pat, actually, that you had the argument with? Yeah. Pat oh, was. yeah. No, I thought you were going to lead into some, you were going to rewrite Pythagoras' theorem or something. And as a mathematician, <laughs> no, no. He, he was staunch in his ways. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was an amazing guy. He was proving his design by sailing it the wrong way around the world, which oh, he did. Yeah. Um, wow. Very cool, thirty-three foot catamaran. No, he, he took three years over it, but uh, three years. Wow, yeah. going the wrong way. Yeah, but he stopped everywhere, huh? yeah. <laughs> literally. You'd hardly had time to put the kettle on, and then we were stopping again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, very so, so how did you get into sailing? What, what was the catalyst for you getting into sailing, Mike? I, I watched my dad fail to learn. Oh. Uh, and then realised that it was something I could do better than my dad, which, you know, when you're nine, it's kind of cool to yeah. be able to do something a bit better than your dad. But I, but I was at his, um, he used to take me Sunday afternoons to uh, watch him learn to sail. And uh, the, the guy that owned the sailing school took pity on me and just said, if you do a few jobs around the place, you can get access to the boats and Love he'll it. help you teach me and that's how it began but they were quite innovative it was, it was we were sailing enterprises primarily mm. uh, but um we had very early versions of windsurfers and so we were learning out literally i learned how to windsurf by getting on a board getting blown to the far side of the lake <laughs> in amongst all the weeds and then spending the whole day trying to figure out how to make this thing go upwind wow. <laughs> out <laughs> um, but so I was covered in mud and um, and weeds because this is a, a gravel pit. It's not a very exciting <laughs> uh, gravel pit just outside London. Wow, wow. And, well, uh, I have to say, so, I mean, you know, I was always I was always super keen on sailing, super passionate about um, taking on the challenge of sailing as well as. And then the racing kind of came later. It came with the. It came really. Um, when I was a pro, when I was a fireman, 
I started doing things like the Azores and Back Race. So I'd set myself one major race a year, you know, every year. Mm. And I did do I did the Azores and Back, which is quite a long race, mm. about three thousand miles. What was what was that on, Mike? A boat called Tal, a, a thirty-five foot ULDB designed by Hal Price. It was thirty-five foot long and had a six-foot beam, so you can imagine it, it was a little <laughs> pencil. Um, and it had a keel of 11, 11 foot draft or something. <laughs> what? Um, and it had an impala rig. And in the right conditions, the boat would absolutely smoke and mm. smoke a lot. Um, but um, contrary to belief, uh, they don't go very slim boats don't go upwind particularly well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and so. You know, but we had a great race. Um, I think we were we were second in our class in our division. Um, but then the following year, I did the uh, I did the single handed transatlantic race, the original O Star. Yeah. Uh, in eighty eight, and then eighty nine, I did uh, on a little trimaran. By the way, <laughs> on a, oh, yeah. a twenty six foot trimaran, Kelsall designed trimaran, uh, which I glued four foot onto to get into the 30-foot class because you needed to be 30-foot. And I literally glued four feet of boat onto the back end of it and said, right, I'm big enough. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, the original sugar scope. Yes. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or, or as in uh, the moths are talking about now, the rudder gantry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just an expanded rudder gantry. But, but yeah, so that got me across the Atlantic on a tiny little trimaran which was an extraordinary experience. Remember, you're 88, you're talking mm. pre-GPS. Um, well, you know, yeah, so Pre-everything. Pre, yeah, pre-most things, pre-satcom or anything like that. So completely off the grid um, doing this thing, ending up on the Grand Banks and uh, wow. in the middle of fog and ships coming by and not even noticing you were there. <laughs> Pretty scary. Yeah. But... Um, yeah. And then the following year, I did the Round Britain and Ireland race. And then I, a couple of years later, I got into um, uh, the British Steel Challenge. And that really is where my pro career, if you like, began. Um, I got a very good relationship with Group 4, uh, who mm. were my sponsors for that race. Uh, and they remained my sponsors for some 11 years. Yep, um, yep. And um, we did a lot of projects. You know, we did three wrong way round races, two with crew, and one so- one solo where I broke the record and yep. went faster than Che. Um, and sort of really, I didn't. It wasn't really so much breaking a record. It was more establishing a benchmark because boats had moved on so much. <clears throat> From that, I think five or six people have broken it since or uh, three or four people have broken it since so <clears throat> but um and then uh, and then we built team group four uh fino designed and i took part in my first vendee globe in 2000 so uh and then it just became a succession of vendee globes <laughs> yeah hey, just before we actually get into the vendee globe because that's a whole nother that's a that's an episode in itself but going back to the, like those early days and you're on the Grand Banks in this trimaran, a 26-plus-four-foot trimaran, <laughs> yeah. and do you often think back now 
and like, holy shit, I got away with a bit there. Like, you know, ignorance is bliss some sometimes, yeah. but now when you think back about it, does it scare you a little bit? Not at all. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I absolutely loved it. But uh, it was just throwing yourself out there. I mean, it just felt like you kind of knew you were on a limb. <clears throat> the funny thing was <clears throat> I spent loads of time refurbishing that boat and making it look beautiful. And then I rocked up in Plymouth for the start of the uh, of, of the transit. And suddenly my little 26-foot boat, which I'd kind of imagined as being quite a bit of kit, just <laughs> looked so stupid in amongst, <laughs> in amongst all, of, the others, all yeah. those beautiful French, you know, the multiels that were around at the time. There's so many oh, cool yeah. boats in that race. And I'm there with my little boat with a bit glued on the back of it. <laughs> but... Um, but once you get out there, you can kind of let your mind forget all that and still mm, think sure. on a pretty cool boat. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I was on the Grand Banks, mostly in fog. Grand Banks were doing its deliberate thing. But by then, I'd, I'd, I'd been days since I'd been able to get a sight and a position. I mean, it's just hard to imagine that in yeah, this you day. Missed it. It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was, you know, so I was doing everything on DR basically, because it, you could call it EP, but it wasn't really EP because there were no other factors except course mm. and speed and a bit of guesswork. Um, and I realised that um, I was looking for RDF beacons, radio direction finding beacons. And the um, I got my book out of North, North America, or the east coast of the USA, and I suddenly realised... Um, it stopped at Nova Scotia, and got... <laughs> so I had I had no beacon information, no port information, no coastal information, no voyage information, nothing at all, just a big chart, and um, which was soggy and damp and all the rest of it. And um, I had to stop in St John's uh, because uh, the the beam and the float had detached and were. It was moving mm. about, and the float was filling up with water, and it was getting a little bit dodgy. So, <laughs> um, so I thought, well, how am I going to get to St John's? And I had to scroll through on a radio direction finder until I heard a Morse code signal, and then decode the Morse code signal. And the Morse code signal was CR, and CR it had to be Cape Race, and it was broadly in the right direction. And I single point fixed myself from with just one beacon into Cape Race <laughs> into into St John's and if you've ever been to St John's St John's you come out the fog and there's and and it's just cliffs wow. and the entrance is a slot in the cliffs and you opens out into St John's Harbour it's beautiful but if you get it wrong by, you're on the cliffs <laughs> you're on the cliffs and and so I I came bowling out the fog single point fixing on Cape Race, which is, you know, about 500 miles to the south. <laughs> and um, and there it is, right in front of me. And, that, I mean, that was magical. Mm. I mean, it was, it was yeah. a sort of – but it was magical. It was lucky. You know, it could have gone so badly wrong. But <laughs> because it didn't, 
you know, it just adds fuel to the fire. Mm. Because it didn't, you find yourself on Bar Karate tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking about it. There you go. It could have gone it could have gone another way, but I mean, you know, things like that, they're treasured memories, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. And um, mm. you know, they, they, there's there's little nuggets of stories like that that just are very, very cool. And the funny thing about it is, I mean, a lot of my sailing is solo. And the oddity of solo sailing is that, you know, only you're out there. So you don't get to tell these stories. So it's quite nice to be able to, you don't get to tell these stories very often because the reality is you can't go in the pub every night and tell people the same story, the, these stories because very quickly you find yourself repeating. And then you're that poor old that. Bit. We can relate to that, but feel free if you've got any other little little gold nuggets in there, just send, send them our way. We're happy to listen. Oh, yeah. right, no worries, no worries. But <laughs> so that's how it, that's how it all began, really. But uh, and I'm still just as passionate about the sport, and the sport's been really good to me. And I've had some great sponsors that have really looked after me and helped me and stood by me when things have gone wrong. We all know, all of you guys know, the more sailing you do you know, along the way, you're going to have some upsets. And yeah. that's just the nature of it. You know, you can't have the perfect uh, sailing yeah. career. You, you can only have the one you had. <laughs> mm. And speaking of which, and that leads us into the Imoka world, um, yeah. pretty much from oh, what, 2000 onwards, right? Was it yep. kind of doing all the, everything that you, prior to that, was it a dream to be part of the Amoka fleet or it just kind of fell that way? Yeah, we built our, we built uh, Team Group 4 in, eight, in um, uh, 98. So I did mm. the Around Alone race from... Uh, ah, yep. Um, I, which, which was the, the old BOC. Yep. And um, I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, is the previous edition, Isabella Tissier... Flipped it over. Yep. Flipped it over. But she'd also won the first leg um, to Cape Town from Charleston. Mm. Um, and um, and I was able to win that leg and literally just squeeze around Isabel. Um, so that was my first outing in an open 60. I mean, I had the most fabulous boat, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. I had a Fino-designed boat, deck spreaders, uh, very, very, the rig very similar to the kind of rigs you're seeing on uh, contemporary Amokas now. Mm. Uh, canting keel, which at the time was very unusual to have a canting keel and a wing mast. So I think it was only the third adopter of, of at sixty foot of uh, of a canting keel. So, mm. um, so yeah, well, we had a carbon keel. Everything was pretty out there. But the boat yeah. was a blast. It was just such a blast to, to sail, and and yeah, it, it you know I'd grown I'd grown in here in the UK. You grow up, and we had um, the Ostar, the Two Star, the Round Britain race, the Zorzenbach race. We had all these little races, which were well attended by the French, and the French were kind of still very much developing their current sailing circuit. You know, the the Vendée Globe wasn't even there then. Mm. You know, it was the BOC. Mm-hmm. And um, but if you really wanted to see the state of the art French boats, um, which were doing events like the Ruderum traditionally, 
if you if you wanted to see them, then you um, went down to the starts in Plymouth, and I used, I used to be down there drooling um, at all the hardware and just the 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 sort of presence of the skippers that moved through the marina. It's just the whole thing felt extraordinarily special. Uh, and so then when I suddenly I'm sort of, I felt like, a, um, you know, I felt like I'd sneaked in there, you know, I didn't, I felt like an interloper. I didn't, you know, I definitely had a, a, for a long time, I used to sit in rooms with names of people who I'd grown up with and think, mm. you know, how did I check this? <laughs> you know, wow. How did I get in here? Wow. Um, it felt very strange. You know, how did so, how did they how did they sort of approach you or, or feel about you being there? They they were fine. I mean, I've, I've, I've spent yeah. a bit of time with the French and they're good guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. I mean, so embracing. So uh, particularly as you're a kind of Brit in a, a very uh, a very sort of French community, French uh, environment, very French dominated environment. Uh, so, you know, I was the glouch, the roast beef. And they were into it. They were fine. And, yeah. and they were, were, you know, they always promoted having uh, a big international contingent. And I suppose I'd done myself no harm by, commissioning a French designer. <laughs> mm. Well, Fina, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, uh, and building in France and working with a lot of French people. To, because, you know, the way to get into that game at the time was to be a, be a part of that circuit and uh, and realise who was, the, the, these were the, the most experienced, best people at the, this, this area of the sport. So the near, more you could be around them, the mm. more you learned. And... Um, yeah, so Vendée in two thousand was a was my first calamity though, um, because while well, not my first actually, my second, <laughs> because my first calamity was leading the 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 the, the, the um, around alone race and hitting uh, that little island down in the South Pacific there somewhere, uh, I think in North Island. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's not on me yeah, I mean, we, 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 we went past as the as the Sydney Hobart race was having uh, it's 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 epic year yeah. uh, uh, standard uh, time yep. yeah. Yeah. Mm. and was, in 98 I was um, literally to the south in the same gale and we were crossing on our way to Auckland and um uh, so I was really, I was, you know, I was, where was I? I was probably, I was leading the fleet by a really good margin. I think I had eight days on the next boat back, which was Giovanni. Mm-hmm. Um, and Isabel had dropped out, I think. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to remember. No, maybe she hadn't dropped out, She, but she was behind anyway. I was a couple of days ahead. So I was in a good shape. And then... Unfortunately, someone sent a helicopter out, and when the helicopter arrived, we were a bit low and slow. So I thought, yeah, I'll put the bow up and make it make <laughs> the helicopter worth it. I did a bit too much of that and didn't look in close enough detail at some of the some of the banks off the ninety ninety one mile beach, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And um, and I and we I hit the hit the sand there and did a bit of damage to the keel, 
Well, ripped out the boat, basically. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way yeah, you well, just it to the sponsor. There's a bit of damage to the kill. But it'll be uh, okay. It'll be yeah. okay. Yeah. I'll go and get it later. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it, it actually just pinged the bulkhead that it was mounted onto. So uh, quite a lot of water got into the boat really very quickly. Uh, I mean, mockers are great because they're so compartmented, but I lost all my power in, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> like, everything was dead. Um, anyway, but, so I mean... Got, so that was 98. That was 98, yeah. yeah. So that was my first disaster where, you know, you go from being on the cusp of a magnificent victory uh, to, to a crushing now, defeat. Did, um... <laughs> Did the helicopter get this footage or? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, paid, it was paid for by us. Yeah, right. So so sure that anyway. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, um, feel free to whack it on our Facebook page. It's just uh, Barkerati yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that is one of those things. That, I mean, the way I've just told that, it sounds even worse than it really was. <laughs> oh, well. Nah, sure. But, um, it's stories. It's what it's what it's, makes it's this. The, the reality. The reality of it is, it's sailing. You know that. So I learned a lesson there. Um, and then Vendée Globe. I come to the Vendée Globe in 2000, mm. full of expectation. I mean, everyone thinks, okay, so he had that disaster. But the fact of the matter is, he was leading the race by a mm. big margin. So you know, you're going to win this Vendée. Um, Roast beef is uh, going to take it on. Yeah, <laughs> so I was I was there, but then of course I took the start and eight hours off the start, um, forced a top of the. F- the funny thing was we had we were one of the first boats to adopt composite rigging, and we had soft rigging, uh, uh, Kevlar shrouds, ke- everything everything on the boat was Kevlar, um, made by a little company on Ile de Guire in France, a company called Chenois uh, Black Dog. And uh, they, this is this is how they made it. You'll like this: drive stakes the right length apart into the ground, yep. and then they uh, put the mandrels on the stakes, and they literally wrap ran it up, up, wrap it around, ran yep. up and down, up, up and down between the stakes to make the make the runs, cinch it all together, and there's your there's your cable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put a bit, put a bit of heat shrink on it, and call it good. Of, exactly. <laughs> of electrical exactly tape over the ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'll, be, it'll be fine. Yeah. But um, and and sure enough, that's what we had all over the boat. So you think we took a risk, but we thought the one bit of the rig we will not take a risk with mm. is the forestay, because of course, <laughs> in the, back then you had foils on the forestay. You didn't have it wasn't oh. just the itself. So we said, look, we'll go with rod because rod's safe. <laughs> Uh, No, six hours after the start, the the, the rod failed just below the. (laughs) So there you go. And every other. uh, So, I mean, so then we had to go back because it's so soon after the start, I was able to get back, put a new rig in the boat, um, and restart. Mm. But. uh, and I restarted, obviously, firmly in last place, and I finished seventh. That's right, seventh, yeah. Seventh in the Vendée. So, um, you know, it's it, that, again, was an adventure because you, you're in this race and then suddenly you're not in the race. You're, you're 
you're right at the back of the fleet. Mm. Uh, it was the kind of it was sort of what Jeremy Bew has had yeah, to do mm, last, exactly uh, last Monday. And the truth is, you're doing it for all the right reasons, but um, it takes a bit of it takes a lot out of you when you're a, when you're a competitor and you're trying to be a competitor, and then suddenly that all the all the the thing that drives you on is the thought that you might succeed. And uh, so you take that away and it all becomes very hard. But as soon as you started, as soon as I started overtaking people, even though they were in significantly slower boats, um, I started to enjoy myself. Because, yeah. you know, so I still enjoyed it. I still learned a lot, but uh, it wasn't the Vendée Globe that I imagined when I signed up to do it. The irony, um, what I love is the next, the next one day, so 0405, where you made the podium, you used, yeah. you were really innovative there where you used um, a boat that had a sort of temporary keel. <laughs> well, one you could <laughs> jettison, yeah. jettison yeah. it off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, did you know that when I finished that Vendée, I mean, I was protested. I was protested. <laughs> That's it. I was, I was you were underweight. <laughs> yeah. They said I was out of class rules. Oh, who, who protested you? <laughs> the committee, believe it or not. Oh, the, no. The, the committee. Prom- and what, the, what, there's what, a logic. Sorry. Well, what was your timing for that one? 88 days? Is that right? The yeah, total? 88 days. Well, that's um, what they say, right? The <laughs> ideal boat falls apart when you go over the over the finish line. And right. what, what were you predicting? 86 days. Yeah. No, 80, <laughs> 87. <laughs> but, yeah, if it, if it literally if it lasted another six hours, I would have been tied up, you know. So uh, oh. it could have literally. Would have hated to have been right. the delivery crew. <laughs> <laughs> you, rock up, you rock up at the marina. Thanks, guys. Um, can you get that over to wherever it's going to go? I'll see you later. Yeah, gonna, see, yeah, see it, you in 90 days. I'm done. <laughs> Here's where life is stranger than fiction, though, because the reality is the keel fell off. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out to sail the boat without the keel. Mm. Sailed about the last uh, 90 miles with no keel on, upwind. Up, um, uh, and um, which sounds really hard until you realize it's an amoka. It's a re- really wide platform. You've got water ballast, you can sink the boat, you've got dagger boards, mm. you do all the job of taking the boat upwind. So, in fact, it wasn't as hard as we thought. And when I finished in La Sable, I finished at three o'clock in the morning. I was doing nine nine knots upwind. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> <Good tap measures. laughs> just got it dialed in. Just rewriting the polars. <laughs> <laughs> tiny, tiny little sail area, and just uh, the boat was just stunk him. Yeah, so this is um, faster than it was before. <laughs> it, <laughs> I'm far off. But here's the strange bit. Is that arrived there? Normally, I wouldn't have been able to go in, but of course, I could go straight in. It's low tide. Yeah, exactly. Like, How's he doing that? How's he doing that? Um, but then I got in, and of course, I'd got in much faster than um, than uh, we told everyone. We told them we'd arrive in the morning, and I got in really quick. I was being shadowed all the way by a French uh, um, uh, destroyer. Um, who were just waiting to pick up the pieces. Um, <laughs> or to sink you but, if you got um, too fast. 
But I mean, the funny thing was, I went and crashed in the hotel when I when I got back, and uh, and someone had slid a note under the door, and it was an it was a handwritten note from the mayor of Le Sable d'Olon, um, saying, "Oh, congratulations, welcome to Le Sable d'Olon." He said, "But you came in at three o'clock in the morning." Uh, and the people of Le Subdelon didn't get the chance to uh, to to greet you down the down the canal oh. like you normally would. Would you mind going back out and coming back in again? <laughs> <laughs> Which we duly did. I was going to say you would have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? So we got the boat ninety miles, but then we came to an agreement with the insurance company that the delivery crew that were going to take the boat back could sail the boat back with no kill. As it was. And and, it, and they, that's what they did. They sailed the wow. boat back yeah. with no kill. Wow. So that, I, I think it's a couple of good, good things going on there. There's a good boat, but um, a very good insurance company as well. I've got a, I've got a question <laughs> for you there, Mike. When when it actually happened, um, what, what, explain that to us, because obviously you're sailing along, you you know you're coming towards the end of the race, and all of a sudden the keel's gone. What, what exactly happened, and, and what was your first initial thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sailing along upwind. I've got uh, a couple, probably two or three tanks of ballast in, um, but the boat's pressed, so I think one reef and a solon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the boat's well heeled over. I'm just having a, a little cup of coffee, watching the world go by, thinking about the race. Jean Le Cam wasn't that far away, so it was still catchable at that point, you know, um, who was in second place. Uh, he was only my, a few a couple of miles ahead, so but coming in at different angles. Right. But what happened was is uh, I put my coffee down and thought I've got to ease some sheets and, and so sort of, so I started easing the main and 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 then I started <laughs> using a bit of jib more. And, and easing more and the boat's going more and more over. It felt like um, it felt like a, um, a gust of wind. That's that's exactly what it felt like. But the thing is, it didn't fail completely. So it buckled. Uh, so it went vertical, uh, but oh, still yeah. the weight of the keel was still attached to the boat. But then there was this kind of weird f- five minutes where I Rocking. I quickly went down below through ballasting, not really. I don't know whether I did it at that moment, but I, I would put more ballast into the boat and started um, getting rid of sail. But um, there was this weird moment where I looked in to the top of the keel box and realised that the keel head and the ram and everything was all perfect. It all looked 100%. And then I went to the transom of the boat, laid down on the floor, stuck my head over the oh. back of the boat, <laughs> and then... You're upside down, facing the wrong way, trying to look at a keel, and the keel's still there, but it was pointing the other way. So it was basically 90 degrees to the keel head. But that took forever to kind of work it out because I kept thinking, what the hell's going on here? Um, must, have been, must, have, must have had some drag. <laughs> yeah, well, that, it was. And then just as I got up to start acting on it, uh, there was a little ting, like a rip of a Coke can opening or something, and the keel departed the boat. And honestly, it wasn't a massive difference. The boat just felt a bit lighter. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Um, right. Okay. Well. But by now, all the sails were on the deck. I had quite a bit of ballast in the boat because I'd thrown all the 
ballast fails open. So the boat was kind of safe. Well, you, um, you clearly started a bit of tr- bit of a trend at that point, Mike, because uh, <laughs> yeah. people were just ejecting them all over the joint after that. In about in about the same yeah. area. <laughs> I know, yeah. But the funny thing is that keel fell probably within a mile or two of the mast huh? <laughs> that had gone in the 2000 edition. <laughs> oh, righty well, this, the mast a little, There's a little Bermudan triangle there or something. Yeah, the golden <laughs> triangle. The golden yeah, triangle. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's a good They never note. got a hole. They never got the hole. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good thing. That's this, a good thing because you're here to talk about it today. And, but yeah, this, this adds, sort of – It adds to the spice, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it actually um, – I have a theory. Well – Oh, here we go, boys. We're in now. Ready? Get get your pen out, Mike. Mike, just hang in here. This is where it goes wild. I have a theory. So you've lost your mast during the the Vendée. You've lost your keel, you know. Just when you're a threat, everything started going wrong. You lost your forestay. Alex becomes (laughs) a threat. He loses masts. He loses keels, you know. Are the French sabotaging the boat? (laughs) (laughs) Well... Well, j- joking aside, <laughs> the uh, my sponsor w- was completely convinced that the that the the that we were being sabotaged. I mean, we weren't. We weren't being sabotaged. But it's all right, Mike. We I've just checked the stats. Only four percent of our listeners are French, so go your hardest. <laughs> But I mean, you know, the reality of it is, we, it did have that conversation. Really, did come up, and it came up quite Nick, genuine. Nick, Nick Maloney, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Keel off. Did you yeah, did you yeah. have any fishing boats come close, Boris Herman? You know, oh, just, no. just, oh. yeah. <laughs> there's a pattern. There's a pattern. <laughs> there is a bit of a pattern. Whether the fact the race starts in France is probably a good part of the reason for that pattern. <laughs> 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 oh, what, what have we started? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, because you end up talking about all the failures. But the reality is I finished, of the four Vendées I did, I finished three of them. Yeah. And yeah. the only one yeah. I didn't finish, I was leading. And another ring mm. came over. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know. There's a bit of a pattern there. But, I mean, the Vendée is a tough race. Oh, it's, a yeah. race. it's a hard race to do, and it's an extremely hard race to win. So, you know, a lot of things have to fall right. So it's a step on the podium of the Vendée, um, you know, when you've got yeah, 30, 30 odd competitors. Honestly, that's that's enormous. And uh, when I – I would – I might in 2004, because I'd been so close to winning that race for – and the only reason I was in third is because other things had gone wrong further down the track. But, you know, I felt it was a race I could have won. Uh, but I would have been mildly disappointed. But then the keel fell off, and I was just grateful to finish. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, yeah, the fortunes just do a so quick switch like, there. Yeah, yeah your, your head is a complete mess of the mind. I mean, you really have to have a, a, a strong constitution to keep going back and doing Vendes. I mean, or lack any imagination whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know, you know what you've got to go through after your first one, right? You know that it's yeah. going to be tough. You know that it's going to be hard work. You know that there's going to be times where you just wish you weren't out there. Yeah, um, sure. but, uh, sure. um, but, I mean, that is the thing we – the strange thing is, is that 
the hard part of the Vendée is the whole process of getting to the Vendée. Getting there. Finding money and, you know, oh. building a boat. I, I thought yes. you were going to say the build-up, like doing the TJV with, like, Bruno, Bruno Dubois. <laughs> <laughs> Putting up with Bruno for X amount of days, yeah. Did you, yeah did, well, no, no, he's my doppelganger. I, mean. I, I reckon he is too, to be honest. <laughs> it's like you've got the exact same haircut. Everything. Yeah, yeah. I even got the T-shirt, look. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is, is, he, is, he, is he at your house? Is he? Where is he? No, no. no it's no, when he orders one of something, he just gets two. No problem. <laughs> he's a good hey, man. Uh, hey, uh, Mike. Yeah, I'm just. I'm really trying to put my mind back here, but back in the early days of the uh, Volvo campaign in the Volvo seventies, and yeah. uh, Mike Sanderson was skippering ABN Amro, and he yeah. told us this story that um, he jumped into the oh, mockers and did a bit of the stuff prior to the Volvo mm. campaign. Yeah, and he and your advice to him because our inclination, if you wipe out, you can't the kill back the other way. You get everything up and running and you do these sorts of things. But his story yeah. to us was that's not how Mike does it. If the boat wipes <laughs> out, you walk out into the cockpit, light a cigarette, <laughs> take a bit of a look around, see what's yeah. going on because the kill's not there fighting what the yeah. wind wants to do. You sort yeah. your shit out while the boat's laying on its side. Then yeah. you slowly right the boat back. So yeah. don't yeah. panic, basically. <laughs> Basically, true or correct? Yeah. Absolutely well, true. You can, ask, you can ask Bruno about that. The two of us standing <laughs> on, literally out in the cockpit, and Bruno's like wanting to release the runner, and 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 we we were going along with kite, um, staysail, and um, and full main, and we had a massive wind shift, like seconds. A kite back through the rig, the boat crashed over, fully wiped out, laid horizontal on the water and the squall came through and it pouring with rain <clears throat> bruno and i are in the cockpit and bruno's like wait we've got to do this and i'm like, you're standing there with the you're standing there with the bunger <laughs> yeah and and i said no no let's wait let's wait because let's let the squall go by and then and then the boat's completely safe like this mm. and um we got up we got the boat back up after the squall on the other jive um the kite completely intact, nothing damaged, not a single thing broken on the boat. Um, and it, we'd, we'd had to wait 20 minutes for the school to go by. Yeah. It was just the front. Just the front. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the boat's completely deloaded when, yeah. when it's going on its side and you won't break anything at that moment. It, but if you – it's a, I, I always compare it to a game of pick-up sticks, you know, it, you, you've got to do everything in the right sequence yeah. so it all goes wrong, you know. Um, and, you know, yeah, I've done that a few times. And a few different people have been quite surprised how laconic I can be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> standing around, days. standing around, waiting, relaxing. Yeah. Chill out. Cool. You'll be right. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, think they invented, I think they invented smoking for solo sailing. <laughs> <laughs> It's just an excuse to do nothing. Hang on. One step further, they invented smoking for solo sales while in the middle of a wipeout. Yeah. The five-minute roll. The five-minute roll. Bang her up. (laughs) We're all good here. Don't don't smoke, kids. All right? I don't (laughs) smoke. That's right. And I don't smoke now. No. 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 So have there ever been times, you know, like you're you're saying you're super calm, have there ever been times where you've just gone, "Uh uh-oh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a bit nervous here. Oh, Christ, yeah. yeah. Um, What's the worst? Yeah. Um, the worst one? Um, guys, it sounds like a disaster movie, this. When Bruno turns up. <laughs> people like action, mate. People like action. They don't like all the... All the... Okay. The worst one was uh, on the 2000 Vendée with my second rig up, we'd thrown the rig together and when I got down in the south, I had problems with uh, a Fatnor furling gear, um, uh, the, one of the welds. Branch. Okay. And basically it failed and I needed to go up the rig. It was way too rough in the Southern Ocean. So um, I decided to sail really close to uh, some islands uh, near the Crozet Islands. And <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the name of the island. It will come to me. Um, so that I could get in the lee of the island to allow me enough time to go up the rig and do the, do the work and come, up, come down again. So I, um, I, I sailed in close to the islands, about a mile offshore, had all my gear ready, shot up the rig, saw enough the seas leveled out, it was beautifully calm, left full sail up and just, because I figured I had enough time. Here we go. Got, got, got up there, <laughs> and um, and the problem was slightly different. I had to figure it out. And then while I was up there, some Frenchman came over the hill. French scientists came over the hill and was kind of waving at me, and I'm waving back, and it's all kind of very weird Uh-oh. in a Vendée Globe sort of way. And um, no, he really was waving at me as opposed to waving at mm-hmm. me. For, for impending disaster but basically i just ran out of island and um uh, and so started to go out into the seaway again so the you know the boat just does a little lazy lob yeah. and, and of course at the top of the rig a little lazy lob is quite a yeah, adventure yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and i realized at that point i rammed my because the the work had been right on the top of the rig I'd rammed my ascender oh, right up no. into the block. Oh. And because the ascender's right in the block, there was no way I could catch it. Yeah. So I had to climb out of oh, the chair that Jesus. I was in. And luckily I got up in a chair in a harness. Yeah. And so I had to climb out the, the thing, reclip, and go down on a on a descender on a oh. different halyard. So yeah. the descender the descender was on um, was rigged for uh, eleven mil, but climbing ropes are a, 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 a ten mil. Yeah, so mm. oh, maybe you know. So the the reality was on this um, Vectran rope, it would it had two settings. It had clamped or re- or released. <laughs> 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 so a minute I moved away from the masthead and we're still slamming. Um, I felt really out of control because you couldn't really hold on because, you know, at the top you could sort of wrap your legs around it. Mm. But once I started going down, yeah, I felt really out of control. So I had to make a really quick decision and just threw myself out onto the mainsail, squeezed and tried to guess where to stop. <laughs> oh, holy God. Oh, and I just went, down the south. There you go, listeners. And then uh, a very squeaky voice for a while. But I was convinced <laughs> that uh, 
I I was convinced that I was I was going to be a you know sort of bloody bag of meat at the top of the rig, absolutely heading down towards Antarctica. Because, and this is the thing: things that are normal on a crude boat, you know, even if even if you're double handed, yeah. when you go solo, you know, even the most benign thing can suddenly turn really nasty really quickly. And uh, that was I I really thought I'd I'd overcooked it that time because <laughs> well, all of this I was trying to get out of it and you know I, I smacked my head I had a big cut down my head and oh. um you know I, I was in a bit of a mess I, I'm pretty sure I did three vertebrae in that descent wow. uh, you know I compressed three vertebrae and I've, my back's never been the same since. but I mean um, so I, I was in a bit of a mess but I mean I've finished the Vonda and Amazing what you can do with ibuprofen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, other things. <laughs> in, in saying that then, um, and to give you the opportunity uh, to not mention another train wreck, the greatest <laughs> achievement, apart from, of course, the most excellent order of the British Empire. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm immensely proud of the... Uh, of the beat of the challenge races, I, I was second mm. in the British Steel Challenge, and and we won the the BT Global Challenge. You know, really convincingly, we won five of six legs, and the leg we didn't win, we came second on. So, mm. um, you know, it was a, it was. I, I'm I'm very proud of that all that period because uh, you know I also did went the wrong way round record and so on. So it was a very strong period. In terms of uh, Imoka, um, well, I'm, I'm hugely proud to have won the Transat. Uh, I've won two Transats, in fact. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Transat, you know, I grew up with that race, and it's difficult to understand if, you, if, you, if you're of my generation, uh, you know, that was the race. There was no mm. Vonda or BSC. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so to me, that, you know, it was a real, a real buzz to win that. Um, uh, and I won the Defi Atlantic, which is another solo tra- transat, and the SM, SM. So there were lots of – and the, overall, and also getting to the point of being a Mocha world champion um, at a point where we were actually got prize money for that. <laughs> so mm. it meant something. <laughs> um, you know, that was, that was an extraordinary – but the odd thing is being British, you know, we're only 60 miles away – but it was virtually unacknowledged uh, in the UK, you know, but in France. Amazing. So it's kind of really weird situation as a sportsman to find yourself excelling at a game that just no one in the UK really knew about. Yeah. (laughs) But it's got better. I mean, it's got better. We've had lots of strong advocates. I was there for a long time and now you've got Alex and, you know, and Pip and all the rest of it coming through and, making better stories, but God, it's slow. It's a slow process to try and Mm. um, move the sporting culture in this direction. Mm. It's coming. Obviously, Mike, (laughs) Mike, you've, you've had some, well, we all remember from a sporting point of view and a commercial point of view, Ecova sponsorship, but you've had some fantastic sponsors, uh-huh. The, ho- the whole way through your career, right? 
yeah, yeah. that have stuck by you not only for one race but for several races. So I think when we actually met in um, in where were we in Brazil when you came over yep. for the Volvo stopover, yep. and you were yeah, telling yeah. me one of your sponsors who had literally stayed with you pretty much your whole journey. Yeah, I mean that's basically. You know, the, the, there was a there was a continuity between Ekava and um, and Group Four. Group Four, yeah. And, and the continuity was a chap called Jorgen Philip Sorensen, who um, was the owner of Group Four and the owner of Ekava, and he was the kind of continuous element that ran through the project. And he was passionate about it, um, passionate about the sailing, passionate about the sea. <coughs> Um, and was he could see the value it was bringing his organisations. And um, with Ekova in particular, we, I mean, Ekova now have a factory in France, which they wouldn't have had without the introduction of the sailing project. Oh. So, um, so there's some tremendous success stories for sponsors and, and sailing working together. So... So yeah, it's. I've got to say that, um, that I, I look back at those days, and I just remember the the, the boat. I remember the colours. I remember the brand. Yeah. And yeah. if you're talking about branding, and you're talking about yeah. um, how it works, that's how it works. That's how so, it works. You know, you know yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the case of Group Four, I mean, Group Four is a slightly different entity because, yep. <clears throat> you know, the Group Four at, at the time it was just a security company, but now it's kind of almost a political entity, you know, mm. in its guise of G4S. But just one story about that sponsorship. Um, we were sat at a dinner uh, in South Africa, um, uh, having won the leg into South, into Cape Town, and uh, I was just getting tucked in, and someone came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Can you come over and meet the minister?" Uh, and at the time, it was the Minister of Corrections <laughs> for the ANC uh, oh, party. Good. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and he, he started chatting away and said, uh, so, uh, Mr. Golding, tell me about your prisons in the UK. And I thought, I don't know anything about prisons <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> but one of the guys on my boat was a, was a, a, a senior VP of, of, of Group 4. And so I introduced the two of them. And later that evening, the, 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 my crew member came to me and said, look, I'm going to have to leave the boat for, a, for, a, you know, for some of the prep period, uh, but I'll be back and, and all the rest of it. So he disappeared back to the UK, appeared a few weeks later with some colleagues and some paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a deal in South Africa where they, to design build and manage for 25 Ooh. years the first South African private prison and it was the first of three so oh. they did three uh, so that contract will only just have expired <laughs> so wow. Wow. Uh, so it, you know after that we had a Scottish um, financial officer at Group 4 who always used to be very Scottish about spending money on rotten <laughs> Um and, and after that, he said, well, if you ever need anything ever again, you've paid for it. <laughs> wow, well done. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. It was huge business. So this is how things work. It's not always 
straight lines. It's sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes things work in funny ways. You've you just got to be there. you just well, got to be and, there. No, and that goes to prove, Jordan, something you've mentioned many times on the show. There's a lot more to than just what a campaign costs. It's yeah. what value the campaign brings on a B2B business behind the scenes. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we, we saw so many deals go down during the Volvo race in the, race in the, in the Sailors Terrace, mm. um, which you don't hear about. But this is one of the, the examples of when you have something good there and it leads to something. But speaking of good and leading to something, the uh, Ecova, obviously the involvement in that and now your role um, as uh, what's the exact title? The chairman of the World Sailing Sustainability Commission. Yeah. World Sailing. So uh, we're a commission. We're not, you know, we, 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 from my, we're a commission of experts. And I'm not an expert at all, but I'm just chair of the thing. Uh, and um, we've got people from all around the world, all different fields, all different areas of speciality to help World Sailing create a an agenda um, to, to improve its sustainability profile, to improve the sports sustainability profile. And it's done hugely well, a fa- fact that it's been recognised very recently by uh, the IOC. Uh, and sailing has one of the best. I mean, there are obviously many reasons to think that sailing might be, but actually there's also many reasons, as we as to- know, to think that we're probably the worst culprits in in terms of, not being sustainable, but we there are actions the sport can take to improve its sustainability program, and and it's it's done remarkably well, very very quickly. I mean, we were brought together in 2018 to create a an agenda for 2030. Um, 25% of the initial recommendations have already been fulfilled and completed. Mm. So what we realised is, why are we doing this for 2030? We could do this now. Speed it up. <clears throat> uh, and, and of those that aren't completed, um, you know, m- most of them are on track. Some of them are t- require innovative technical solutions, for instance, end of life uh, um, for materials. Yep. Um and some of them require wholesale rethinking of how we approach the sport. And, you know, so the reality is there's, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but we're st- we've got a new commission, a new bunch of commission members this year. And, um, you know, we're looking for new input, fresh input and tr- trying to make things better so and that's as you say that's as you say nick that's kind of stemmed from first the involvement with ecova and mm. and then i as a result of that I became an, an ambassador for the green blue for the roa's green blue initiative which is a uk sustainability project uh, and and i've steadily got more and more involved with it and now currently I, i'm involved with a the with a with an organisation that are developing um, a sustainable uh, composite, so in other words, a, a glass fibre that you can a glass fibre equivalent that you can um, build a boat and take the fibre and the resin and disassemble it and make another boat. 
Yep. Yeah, that's the that's the goal. Anyway. The goal. Exciting times, exciting times. That, yeah. uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? That uh, we've got to keep testing and keep moving forward and keep um, keep trying. I guess uh, you know we're all uh, in a position to do something for, in terms of getting think, the answers. I think know? we're all of, despite the wrongs and the rights, we're all of the right mindset within this sport that mm. we need to do more, right? Yeah. And um, if we can lean on some of the uh, some of the things that have been developed in the past and about to be developed in the future, it's only going to be better and it's going to give our sport much, much better name. So, mm. um, I, think, I think that's exactly true. I mean, we, we actually, as, as sailors, we're out there experiencing it uh, and, you know, we just talk, I've just let me ramble on about my career. But through my career, I can tell you, when I started, we used to use routing charts and, and they, they actually worked, <laughs> you know. And at the end, um, you can't rely on the weather at all. It's completely messed up. And, yeah. and the reality yeah. is that that is climate change. Now, I'm not going to get into that detail, but the reality is it's happening real quick. And so as sailors, we see these things, you know, and, and I don't think, uh, and I think we're also in a position of strength to be able to, describe that to other non-sailors, you know, um, and puts us in a strong place. So, yeah, we have some responsibilities. So, so Mike, we we sort of chewed up our time super quickly because it's been so Mm. much fun. I do want to ask, what is next for you? Like you're on looking at all the positions and things you're doing. You're so busy. Have you got time to go sailing or...? I haven't been doing much. I mean, I've I've got a moth. I've got an exocet. So... I do that, and I go out and crash that around <laughs> quite a lot. Um, Have you got the uh, got the stern extension, the, the gantry? Yeah, uh, I've, I've got all the gear and absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a. It, I mean, talk about car crash TV. I mean, that's just. No, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I haven't trusted myself during the pandemic because the thought. I live on. I live next to the River Hamble. The thought of being um, lifted out of the Solent um, <laughs> by a lifeboat. Mike Golding rescued from moth in the middle of in the middle of the Solent, <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a stage three lockdown. That would have been like a double whammy. So I, I couldn't bring myself to do that. So I haven't been out on that moth. We got an RS four hundred, which is a much more sensible family boat. Yeah. Um, so I do a bit of that, and who knows. In the back of my mind, there's there's still some I'd like to do. Not necessarily racing, but just um, some yeah. kind of cool. I thought, I thought a mocker was going to squeak out there. Like, I thought one. <laughs> how about the Global yeah. Ocean Challenge? Oh, there we go. Oh, no. no. Oh. <laughs> that was a yeah, yeah, no. That's the equivalent to the New Zealand yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, it means the same thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, just maybe a subtle hint then, just, you know, my finishing question for you then. What boat turns you on most? Like out of all the things that are going on at the moment, right from America's Cup right through to the moths, through to offshore, everything, what what boat turns you on the most at the moment? Uh, the, the Maxi Motiels. Definitely. Yeah, the old teams. Oh, yeah. The, yeah old teams. The, the, the old teams is the way to go. It's there. I mean, you don't actually need one of my favourite boats. Hundred percent that I've sailed is is Mod Seventy. I sailed on Fado quite a bit with Brian. Yep. Yep. And um, 
you know, those boats are virtually, I mean, as, as near as damn it, indestructible. Wow. Um, and they are just complete and utter weapons. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I went, first time I went out with Brian, we, kept, we left cows and he said, oh, we're going to, we're just on delivery. We were going down to the <laughs> That old trick. We're going to keep it cool. (laughs) We're going to keep it cool. Nothing over 25 knots, and uh, uh, which is a lot of speed, yeah. But, I mean, I think um, six hours later, we're in the middle of the night. It's pouring with rain. We're going across the English Channel uh, at 39, 40 knots. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got my hood up, and I'm looking at Brian, um, who's obviously just monitoring everything, and I'm looking at the little rice smile, and he just loves it. <laughs> uh, he's not slowing this thing down. <laughs> and yeah. and he's, he was the 25 knot barrier went quickly out the window. But those boats are awesome. But put those boats on foils, wow, that must be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think those are my favorite boats. Because, and the other thing is, they're kind of project boats. The only thing is, they're so big. It, everything happens too. Uh, it's, it, it, the projects are too long, if yep. you know what I mean. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I would like to see if they're going to do this. It would be good if they did a race every year, and, and you know, something to keep us interested. Uh, I think the, the the what do you guys think about um, the foilers and the ocean race? And what's your <laughs> on that? well, that's that's uh, that's starting a whole new segment. Oh, it is hundred percent. I isn't it interesting? Isn't yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. It, it, I don't think we're surprised with the way, from a performance point of view, things happen in the in the uh, the Europe round Euro race, just due to the time of year and the the winds that are expected. There, it'll be a complete different story once um, the Omokas can get there. You know, just uh, put the foot put down. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it, it is still so interesting. But it's a complete new discipline for the Omakas. Um, call it fully crewed with four people or five people, but it's yeah. a complete new discipline for them all. So what I don't hope is they don't get scared too much about it and that they're not afraid to chuck um, crew on board and be part of the race because I think it'll be phenomenal. Uh, the the 65s will just keep knocking at the door 100%, but the Omakas – that is where, well, whether whether it be crash and burn or just absolute some of the best sailing you've ever seen, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think the reality is the ocean race route, though, is still leaning towards a non-foiling solution. Because yeah. Because they're, yep. they're crossing the equator, you uh, know, three six, times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, six times, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because they're crossing the equator and the doldrums and there's so much upwind and light airs, you know, a foiler's, a foiler's going to always suffer in those conditions. I mean, remember, those foilers were really designed for the Vendée, which is... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go south, stay south and, and come north again, you know. Yeah, but yeah. It's going to be fascinating, and um, I just think we're going to see a bunch of development. Still, I think it's going to develop. Yeah. It's going to find itself a niche. It's going to find itself a balance, and we're going to find boats that uh, that, that that do it. And uh, that's, I think, where we're going to head. Yeah. Um, who would have thought it, me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Who would> have? <laughs> exactly. Well, good, good, easy solution. Just uh, run the ocean race with four or five stopovers. 
And then everyone's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep the boats in the south, you mean? Yeah, basically. Yeah, Yeah, go back to the old Whitbread. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I think there's a lot to be said for that. The classic venues, you know, the the classic backdrops, Cape Town, Sydney, Auckland, you know, the classic backdrops to, to yacht racing. You know, I think that's where it is. But uh, unfortunately, money has driven yeah, the, the, the commercial. Uh, the commercial pull of the, on, yeah. the Far East has kind of pulled the race north. And yeah, um, yeah. I'm guessing it will continue to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Now, I've just got one question, Mike, before we wrap it up. I'm sure the boys have something as well. Now, just bear with me a little bit here. But when Kevin got off his boat during the last Monday, Rumour had it that John LeCam kicked him off pretty quick smart because he kept eating all his cheese. Um, (laughs) How about you and Alex? What really pissed you off about having Alex on board? (laughs) Honestly, the the two of us got on that boat and we laughed our way to I could imagine. (laughs) We were just rolling. I mean, it was just. Because what else could you do? We're both nominally out in the race, uh, but we just had such a laugh, and we became the b- very best of friends, you know. So well, you, you've got uh, you've, you had life to life to celebrate because you, you know there's no you were, yeah. you were together and you were able to survive and all that sort of stuff. So you would have had that on. We're very similar. We're very similar sense of humour and <laughs> we're similar characters, obviously, and we both love the same things and. Um, yeah, it was just we we just laughed our way all the way to Cape Town. Did, did, did you do a handover of the uh, official name of roast beef with the Frenchies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he he officially took it on. He's yes, never got he has. He is roast beef. <laughs> yeah, he is very us. good. But, um, but no, he's he, you know he's he's had well he's had a tough time though. I mean. Yeah. You know, my career. You've made my. We've. I've managed to make my career sound like a disaster story, but um, the reality is, you know, it is hard. And Alex's situation now is is tremendously hard because what does he do now? Does he build another new boat? Go again? When you know that the odds of exactly the same thing or something similar happening yeah. all over again and then him being painted into history as or sailing history as just being someone who had epic disasters i mean that that's not fair because his his sailing performances have exceeded that but mm. um and it wouldn't be fair so he's in a really difficult situation alex um you know write that uh, down jordan yep alex has promised to come on the show mm. so we're going to yeah, ask him exactly yeah. that yeah. yeah, well, I'm sure he's got it all worked out. You know, I mean, he's not he's not shy of coming up with a few innovative ideas. You know, maybe what here's what here's a, here's a thought. Combining my last two thoughts, <laughs> why doesn't Alex go into Maxi Multials? <laughs> yeah, get, good get, call. Get, get Hugo Boss into the old into the old team circuit. Oh, oh yeah, cool. there you go. I there like go. it. I really <laughs> like it, Mark. You heard it first here. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Nah, cool. Bloody good. Right. 
Um, I think we're going to have to call it there. We've gone way over time because we're having too much fun. Um, I think so. I think we've got the usual. Oh, mate, uh, we haven't even touched touched the rest of the other stuff. No, we'll we're going to have to get hey, you Mike, on again, Mike. Hey, Mike, yeah. 100%. Do you mind? Do you mind if we get you back on? Absolutely. I'm quite happy if you're not bored to death of listening to my disaster <laughs> stories. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Cool. We'd love to have you back on, mate. No, no it's been a pleasure, guys. Real pleasure. Yeah. Oh, well, on, yeah. nice That's to right. see you all. I mean, it's just so weird. We've all <laughs> been cooped away for so long. I mean, it's weird in so many different ways. So, yeah. Hope to see you on the water. Absolutely. Cheers, Cheers, Mike. Thanks. All right. Take care, guys. All the best. Stories is probably the big one from that. Um, I think we've got probably about another four or five hours worth of sitting down and listening to one Mike Golding oh, go through go through what he's been through. Mate, how good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the and, and starting a career, yachting career at 31. Yeah. Well yeah, imagine I mean, the stories he would have had when he was a young fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only this regret I have with it. that whole interview, that whole discussion, is we weren't all sitting in a pub together having a beer and actually doing the real thing. Like I reckon that could have been Well, I, been I must say, gents, I had the pleasure. And I alluded to it um, during the during the interview, but of having a few beers with Mike at one of the uh, Volvo Ocean Race stopovers, and that's where that whole thing came about. His sponsor, Group Four, which got ended up having that big deal in South Africa. I remember him telling me that now. And what one fantastic individual, top bloke, and great storyteller as well. And it all. But it's all like our language, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, nice, understandable. Yeah, oh, I just think uh, I think that uh, he deserves another crack at uh, at having a couple of yarns. I think that's the way we got to treat it, you know. Um, so yeah, booked yeah. in, book him in, book him in, book him in, <laughs> book him in Eddie. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, right, let's move it on. So, any secret pro news? Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Yep, there is, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> oh, that old no, trick. No, there, there is. There's a lot going on and we know what it's all about. Uh, let me guess. Moths? Well, they want to be a part of it. Etchels. Yeah. Apparently the moths want to be a part of it, so they've started their own little bit of uh, bit of backlash. But, Controversy. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll go – I'm sure that will come up in a second. But um, Etchels. Obviously Etchels. Yeah, look. So there is. Um, we've received a stack of correspondence. Some of it is amazing. We There is some really – we're not going to – we are desperate not to do the wrong thing by the actual class here. Um, we want everything to resolve. So we are seeing so much stuff and some of it we just blows our mind. Um, once it comes out and once it's public or once it's resolved, then we think we'll talk about or it. Or just a little bit before. Yeah, you know. maybe just, just a little that, bit before. Just that sneaky bit before. Yeah, <laughs> but um, – yeah, so we're desperately trying to do the right thing by the actual class is, is our goal. Yes. So hopefully we are. We're trying to. So it's a fine balance, isn't it's it? Hard, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, it's every so... every time as much as like let's put it this our mo without a doubt our most listened to episode, Mark Roberts, right? Mm. Well, it's it's and, shot through the roof. Mm. Let's. I mean, we're not doing it this podcast. Just for to get maximum listeners, but it's a kind of a, it's, a, it's a good it's a good feeling, but it's not the greatest subject mm, no. because 
we can literally, if it goes the wrong way, we can literally see a class destruct, unravel. Self-destruct, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is not that is Which not is, what we want. We do not want that. No, no. I mean, you know, Bicey. I don't you, think anyway, anyone. Bicey, you sail on. You sail on. What what uh, what um, build is yours, mate? <laughs> Fuck if I know. She's a she's a white one. Oh, it's a white one. Yeah, I was going to say it's a white one. Oh, so you sail a white. Yeah, nineteen eighty something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, put it this way, it's still got the original back safe fitting. <laughs> well, no, I had it. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. No, but the on. point is, hang on a second, let's, oh. before we do move on, let's, oh. before we do move on, we don't, we, we want to see the positive outcome for this class and we want to see, we, but like all of us and everyone out there, we just want to know the truth. That's all. That's it. Um, same so, with the lasers last year and same with the, uh, what's going to happen with these moths. They just, they're kind of like the little kid, like, you know, coming along and, well, these guys are all having conspiracies. Let's have a go at ourselves. What are you saying, BP? The moths are cheating now. Well, no, they're not cheating, but uh, there's a couple of people insinuating they are with these new gantries. Well, oh. not the new gantries. They've been, I tell you what, the latest uh, Facebook correspondence has uh, been brutal, blo- bl- blown, blown the Olympic discussion out of the water last week on social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's and going we're getting, on? We're getting some of the good ones involved. Cole Langford's there. Cole Tommy Langford's Johnson. Yep, they're all um, in there. They're all in there. Brown, all Ian Brown's come on it from the from the. Uh, from Tommy the Johnson, school. the male model from uh, <laughs> Mudgy. Mudgy. <laughs> male model from Mudgy. <laughs> um, we'll get so him on the show. It, what is going on there? On there is there is a controversy regarding mm. the rudder gantries. Yep. And Gar- what. Gar- in apostrophes, bolt on. Correct. And does the rudder gantry then become an extension of the hull? Oh, the hull, yes. So without taking sight, and it's certainly not our place to give our opinion as to what is wrong and what and right is right there because we'll just keep monitoring, of course, I mean, social media because that's exactly where, where the truth comes from. But um, <laughs> it certainly generated some... Uh, Interests and essentially, uh, there's a maximum extension, I believe, from the transom of the moth, 500 mil, of which where the gantry can hang, and um, people are essentially fairing that in. Yeah, but there is a rule written. There has to be a certain gap, but unless there's certain fasteners, and it can't be a true extension, and it can't be buoyant. Like there's a, a whole. I think deal of complications. From memory, that rule's 6.1.3 from memory. Oh, just from memory. Yeah. Yeah. Clause D, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> over, over A times X squared. Um, Equals B. But for those interested, uh, check it out. I yeah. think it's the International Moth Class page. Yep, or International Moth like Sailing is what it moth is. Moth Sailing. Yep, yep, yep. Discussion on the 25th of June is a bit of uh, a throwdown from memory. And uh, reality is it's probably a bit early in the discussion. There's only at least 492 comments so far. I haven't read through them all, I must admit. But, um, yeah. You know here at Barcrata we don't really get interested until it's about 5,000. But so uh, we'll actually, I'll tell you what, this is an invite, invite from both sides. Just send us an email, cheers at barcarati.com, yeah. and uh, give us your, your, your side of the fence. Yeah. And uh, we're more than happy to show both sides. Which is what we want from all of these things. Where do you sit? Where Where are you sitting on this one, Jordan? Oh, um, probably get rid of it. It's just as easy to get rid of it because it does look like it's an extension. There you go. 
Dimple decided. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I've never I, – I, have, I haven't sailed one with one, so I don't know the difference. Mind you, my sailing without one was really limited anyway, so um, – yeah, okay. No, I, I tend to agree in the set. I, it's just simple. If it's an aero game, there's more places to get an aero game. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but that would lead to another question: Are pros destroying boats? Uh, what? Because they're they're pushing. out of work pros, just so meticulous yeah. on everything mm-hmm. that pushing job creation. You reckon? Well, not necessarily job creation, and it's certainly not their fault, but. Are not out of work pros, but just being so meticulous with everything. Well, blowing these classes out of the water. Well, in the moth class, because the future is falling for all these sort of, you know, like all these guys are making their money from America's Cup, which is falling, which is Sail GP, which is falling. Um, you know, you got the the uh, Persico 69 thing that's all falling. All the things that are coming up now, you need to prove your brand. And you prove your brand, like, you know, used to be the fin class uh, to go offshore yeah. and all that stuff. Now it's proving your brand in, in the moth class. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, just look at the Italian national champs. They just had where Goobs won, Ian Jensen won, mm. ahead of Slingsby by a point. Then you had Francesco Bruni, Bruni who was Bruni in third. the skipper of the, the yeah. um, Italian America's Cup boat, Paul Goodison, next in fourth, Olympic gold medalist, and um, Ruggiero Tita, who's the Italian um, – he's the skipper of the uh, NACRA 17 for the Olympics coming up. So yeah. it's phenomenal talent. Just, and that's just the Italian national championships. Uh, uh, it's, yeah. on, it's on Lake Garda, I guess, and, you know. They, so I guess actually it's a – Essentially, the sport has moved on, and there are certain elements of the sport which have come become professional, and this is one element of the sport. Yeah. Like yeah. back in the day in the seventies, we'd be building our own boats, and we're going down the yacht club. We're sailing every Saturday, and we all went to jobs or uni or dropped out of school, whatever it was. <laughs> but uh, speaking for myself, um, <laughs> what went to uni? <laughs> negative. Um, <laughs> But now it is, as you say, Jordan, and very good point, you've got to prove your brand. And this is one of the classes to prove your brand. Yeah. So you cannot afford to not do it properly. Yeah. Yep. And take advantage of whatever uh, limit there is to, uh, to, to reach, reach to. Mm. Well, the other thing I guess they're debating now is whether the worlds are going to be the worlds with the moths as well. Oh, here we go, down this old path. Well, no, it's because of COVID. Like, not everyone can get there. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, Sorry. That's, that's, that's... Oh, COVID. Mm. So not everyone can get there. Should it still be called the world? Some saying yes, some saying no, blah, blah, blah. No, so there's Don't worry, of... world sailing, we were rolling on that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all right, play music. Next one. Yep. Next yep. topic. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, with all the pros being, uh, all the foiling boats being on Lake Arda, of course, this week is... Um, yes. Is one of our favourites. One of our favourites. So episode eight, Luca Rosotti, who is the uh, president of Falling Week, or the man behind was that it. episode he was on eight? the episode. And so we've been wow. behind these guys. Um, and it's on again this week. Uh, it starts up. So if you are anywhere near Lake Arda, rush on down. They've got quite a bit going on, boys. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Have you, yeah, so there's racing uh, in the wasps, in the moths, in the ETF twenty six, and in the wing foils. Um, what else? They've got sixty nine Fs will be there. Sixty nine Fs, obviously. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, 
They've got forums, so you'll be able to have a, a bit of a chat to a bunch of the legends or listen to them talk. Um, a whole bunch of uh, different initiatives going on and trials where you can go out and trial a few boats. Um, so, I mean, it's fantastic. Basically, if you're in the neighbourhood, get on down there. Head on down. Head, yeah. Head on down. So, falling week this week on Lake Garda. So, if you're listening to the show right now, um, yeah, away you go. Cool. Any any discussion further on that or are we good? No, good. Play the music, play the music. No, no, no. We're, we're, oh, next topic, next topic. <laughs> what is the next topic? The next topic is, this is an interesting one, lads. I, I find this really, really interesting. Um, the You know the Professional Windsurfing Association, the PWA, they, they have – Gone in a new direction this year with their slalom event. Have you got? Were you guys watched any of this or caught any of this? No. Oh, I watched the highlights, not the actual what's going on behind the scenes. So what they've done is in the the slalom, you can race with a normal fin or you can race with a falling fin, and you can swap at any time as you want, right? Mm. So it's the same. So you can be on the course with somebody with a normal fin, whereas somebody else can be on a falling fin. And so um, I think it was in Israel. I, I'm trying to remember where it was. But um, they just had a regatta. And what the debate was going into it was that would everyone would just be, if it was lighter winds, get up onto the foil. And if it was really windy, they would go the standard fins, which is what basically happened. And there's some pretty cool footage coming from that, except for two of the competitors didn't swap off onto normal fins and stayed on the falling ones. One of them being Nicolas Goyard, who's a, a French sailor, and he was a, he was a world champion in the foiling um, board, the board foiling event that's sort of around now. But he, I don't know, did you guys see any of this footage? No, no. Oh, so basically it was super windy, 25, 30 knots, right? And so everyone had swapped back onto their fins and he hadn't. And so come, they come off the start and they're sort of probably pacing about equal and yeah. Nicholas was in the first few guys coming into the mark but he was about fourth or third and they've all gone around and gone around the mark and jibed and he jibes and cuts inside everyone, rolls the sail over and is gone, absolutely <laughs> gone because he didn't slow down through the jibe whereas they all sort of had to accelerate yeah, yeah. again and that was it, just gone. And he won every race I think. Um, wow. Yeah. So, uh, winner of the latest PWA event, and it's the big crossover, the first real crossover of how the falling game's going to play out. So, I found that quite interesting. Mm. Mm. Good so to you watch. You've you got to see that jibe. He just, just came smoking around, and it was just surreal watching the speed difference. And I thought, it, you know, you'd think it was, you don't think of that during the maneuver. That's where you're making your gains. But with the falling, maybe that's where it is, you know. Obviously, lower drag. Well, obviously, they're all going to be falling from next mm. next event in heavy air, mm. right? They're it's not going a, to put up with that. Well, the other bloke that I think he got 12th or 15th or something. So it doesn't work out for everyone. But this uh, Nicolo is he's on, the, he's on form with these falling um, boards. So I found it quite interesting. Thought you boys might find it quite interesting as well. I'll have a look. Yeah, very cool. So PWA still going on. And our last bit of information for the show, for the evening, Nick Bice, there's a huge press conference coming up this week. Could it be it more is. important? What's going on? 
there's probably nothing more important than 10.30 a.m. Paris time on Tuesday, the press conference for the Ocean Globe race. Oh, yeah. I may or may not be on the on the uh, on the podcast next week. Oh, that oh, you're off to France. So, just as a reminder, what the Ocean Globe race is, mm. uh, we interviewed uh, episode forty-four, I believe, uh, interviewed Don McIntyre about the Ocean Globe race, which is essentially a celebration of the fifty-year anniversary of the Whipbread. Yep, and it's done in the retro style mm. of back in those days. And remember our jokes at the time. Yeah. I have to wear the Marlin wet weather gear. Yeah, the Southwesters. Sort of the Southwesters <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Well, apparently not. that's not quite the case. But they're not allowed to take their iPods. Only Does tape players. even have an iPod yeah. these days. <laughs> their iPhones. But listen on cassettes and take their guitars. It's about oh. the adventure, the human endeavour. Um, and... The race is sold out, gents. Wow. Sold out, sold out straight it away. Is sold out. It's interesting. Wow. I find that really interesting. The sense of yeah. adventure is dragging people out. Yeah, we and the, just the 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 um the level to enter is right. a big part of it as mm. well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that basically, if you had a boat which could qualify for the race mm. from seventy three <laughs> through seventy three through mm. to the nineties, you can do the race. Mm. Or, in this case, go on the waiting list. So back in the era when it first started, the rule used to be that you'd tack on a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> is that in the sailing instructions this time around? I'm, um, now, I'm not just going to give away what's coming up on Tuesday, mm. but I might have a little chat to the race director and see what we can do. <laughs> oh, there we go. I've heard, I've heard the race director of this event could be a disaster. There's a fair chance his <laughs> his colleagues and mates are absolute idiots. <laughs> well, two of them are anyway. Yeah, well. Yeah. Does he need any advice because uh, we're good at that? <laughs> <laughs> Just ask him when you see him. Yeah. We'll do. We'll uh, do. No, that's All exciting. Right. So, uh, I, I, look, I'm a big fan of this, this event. I, I think uh, it's the traditional course. Um, as you said, lots of uh, people doing it for the spirit of adventure. Um, it it's good sailing, going and doing. You know, people getting out there, and that's what this show's about. So that's what makes me excited about this event: people getting out there and living mm-hmm. and doing sailing. And what makes me excited is it's actually accessible. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. run into two guys just here in Adelaide mm. who are like, "How can we do this? How can we make this happen?" Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, there's not many other around the world events that can, yeah. can do that. So yeah, I love it. That's cool, well, mate, uh, gentlemen. Yep. An absolute cracker show. Just if we're going to mm. talk ourselves up, but I, I really enjoyed listening to Mike. I really, really did. Um, and some good stuff going on. So it was great hanging out with you, Blakes, again, as per usual. Wonderful. Some big names coming up well, in the next few weeks. Yes. Oh, huge. <laughs> Holy God, we've got some stuff going on, haven't we? Who was I? Just slow quickly be- before we shut it down, yeah. um, I was saying to someone, do you, "Do you run out of ideas and people to have on?" And it's like, mate, yeah. the list is endless. endless. I must admit, early on, I'm like, "How on earth will we get 112 people yeah. <laughs> to come on the show?" Mm. But we have a list as long as our arm mm. for the coming weeks, mm. which is. And we're talking quality mm. as well. So mm. um, stand by. Yeah, it's bloody man. good. 
Yeah, I don't have to go far to get some of the best in the world, do I, right now? Just knocking on your door almost. <laughs> you should have got some of those uh, Kiwi Olympians around helping you smash up your backyard the yeah. other day. Yeah, they yeah, went yeah, past and waved. They waved. They didn't volunteer to come and help. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Oh, there you go. Blokes, uh, yeah, next week. Good work. Right. Uh, good luck just... with the uh, the press conference on Tuesday. Hope the actual things turn out great for everyone. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute cracker. Just get my guitar. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. Turn it up. Turn it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I turned it up earlier. Right, hit it. Let's go. Ready, boys? La... <coughs> oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> He's done it again. Right into the slide. Uh, well, you're a bit frenzied here, Pete. This is the best bit. Love that bit. Like that. Kind of like a railroad. It's railroad blue. All that bit. Chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. Chuck it. <laughs>